Have you ever pondered words that seem to be so strictly religious they never get used anywhere but in relation to Christianity, like holiness? I mean, the word holy might be used in a, in a swear expression or jargon of some kind, but holiness, and, and when a word is so uniquely religious, it sometimes doesn't seem to be as practical as some other words. So what I want to do in this session is let uh, this text, 1 Thessalonians three thirteen to 11, define for us holiness by means of the logic or the connecting phrases in the in the verse. And this is kind of backwards methodologically because often I emphasize, let's get our definitions clear and then we might be able to know what propositions mean and we can see what the logic of the of the flow of the passage is. But in this in this case, I'm going to turn it exactly around and show how watching, uh, the logic of a text can actually shed light on a definition. So, Father, I pray that as we look at holiness, which is one of the biggest and most glorious words in the Bible and yet is sometimes alien to our experience practically, would you shed light on the very heart and essence of what it is practically? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts in your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So it's this so that here that caught my attention years ago and was a huge help to me in being at home with the language of holiness in, in a way that I, I felt like I could really understand and pursue and pray into my life. So let's start from the beginning. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. You, he's talking to them, and yet it's a, it's a kind of prayer, isn't it? May God direct our way to you. He's asking God to to direct his paths, his steps, so that he can be with the Christians in Thessalonica. And so I love this this double, what do we call it, bi-directional language. I think we should learn to, to think and talk like that. We're addressing our heart to God for asking him to do something, and we're really talking directly to another person. So Paul wants God and is asking God to do the providential governing of his life so that he comes to the Christians in Thessalonica. And then, does he shift gears away from that when he says, and may the Lord make you increase. May the Lord make you 
increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Sound, it sounds like such a shift, like, Lord, help me be there. I want to be there. And Lord, make them increase and abound in love. But it's really not such a big shift in focus. If you go to the next phrase, as we do for you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as we love you, which is kind of a confirmation of why he wants to go there. Lord, help us to get there. And we want them to be overflowing in love for each other and for all as we love them, as is clearly seen in the fact that we want so bad to get there. So I don't, I don't think there's such a big shift here after all. The function of this, this prayer, uh, which flows from all the love that he had expressed earlier, is that he's illustrating the kind of love he has for them so that when he exhorts them or God to cause them to increase and abound in love, that doesn't come out of nowhere. He's loving them. And notice that just as the Father has control over the steps of the apostles, may he direct our way to you, so he has control over whether they increase and abound in love. May the Lord make you increase and make you abound in love. Boy, I find that helpful because I want so much to love people more than I do. And now I have such a clear illustration of how Paul pursues that. He prays for it. And so we should take this language on our lips often. Lord, make me, make me increase and abound in love for other believers and for all people. So that... So what does that usually mean? So that. The purpose or aim. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones. Saints means holy ones. So holiness, holiness. He's coming with a whole heaven full of holy ones. And you want to be in that number with your heart established, blameless in holiness. How do you pursue blameless in holiness? He says, Father, cause them to increase, increase in love so that they will be established, blameless in holiness, which is a massive definition, isn't it? At least we can say, even, even, if, even if you don't say uh, holiness equals love, you surely have to say love is an essential constituent of holiness. It's a massive part of holiness. It's right at the heart and essence of holiness because this argument would make no sense otherwise. He is, he is praying Oh, Lord, cause them to increase and abound in love. Love for all believers and love for all people. Enemies, friends, 
cause them to abound in love so that their hearts would be blameless in holiness? In order for that logic to work, love must be a huge component of holiness. So there's the illustration. A meaning of a word that sometimes is very foreign to us, like holiness, because of this logical connecting phrase and how those two, how this, this, and this connect shows what holiness is in a way that we can grasp it much more readily, perhaps. We will be holy in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ if we become the kind of people, by the Lord's work, increasing, causing us to increase in love. That is, if we will have a uniformly good will towards all people if we want the best for the greatest number of people, if we've been done with selfishness and live for others, we will be abounding in holiness.